And here we are. We're off to a rollicking start with uh, the old doors in their uh, Morrison Hotel. And I have a special guest co-host today. Uh, Misha, I'm sure, will find a way of connecting. He has amazing resources, and I'm sure he'll connect in just a moment or two. But as for right now, I have the amazing Marissa. Marissa, welcome to Poets of the East. Thank you so much for coming. How's your day been so far? Oh, my gosh. It, it, hello, everyone. Welcome. Thank you, Poets of the East, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, it has been exciting. For the last four hours, I have been on reading poetry in Singapore and the Philippines. <laughs> so, oh, nice. And my day start, started very early. But, yes, it's an incredible it's an incredible thing. So we're just going to keep poeting today. That's right. You know, it, it's so such an interesting paradox with COVID and the lockdowns and the masks and the constraints we all are living under. So many of us poets have found international, even global connections, and we have been able to make links, make conversation, make new friends, literally around the world. Yes. What do you yes. think about that? Is that amazing or what? It's amazing. I, you know, I knew that I was in a small pond, so to speak, you know, in New Mexico for uh, poetry and spoken word. I, I love my love my cohorts here, but I knew that I needed to grow and I needed to learn and expand my horizons in this industry. So when COVID hit, it, it was an opportunity to um, find poetry from around the world and not just study it from books or like YouTube videos, but to see it live, to meet poets, to learn their stories over time. And what an affirmation because so many of us have similar traumas and similar histories. And so leaning on each other to get through times that are really hard, um, this has been an incredible tool uh, for me personally, uh, for growth and mental health care, knowing you know, that I have all these um, people. One of the other things that I find so amazing, you know, I've read with people from India, from Bangladesh, from the Philippines, from Indonesia, from France, from London, you know, across the states. And, you know, our voices, even though they're different, even though the intonation is different, the emphasis is different. We are so often talking about the same thing, the desire for yes. peace, the care of our loved ones, the people we're concerned about, worry about, and the things that we celebrate. Those are so human, so, so universal. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how happy I am that you can join me, not just for, for performing, but also co-hosting today. Um, this might just be the last episode of Poets of the East. Uh, I'm working on trying to get some funding. Anybody, if you're out there listening and you can support us even a little bit, please connect and let me know, and we'll talk about that. But first comes the first. We have two amazing poets, uh, Asra from Lithuania. Uh, I'm going to uh, attempt her name. Kazinwatai from Lithuania and Eva Dejamruski 
from Macedonia. Let's first listen to a segment of our interview with Asra Kazanitui, something like that. <laughs> She'll forgive me. She's a generous soul. Here we go. Part one with Asra. Ladies and gentlemen, let me welcome my colleague and brother, Misha Danduta, and the lovely and talented Asra. I'm going to try Kazilul. Well, maybe not. Take it away, good people. Take it away. Well, I will try to. I'm not sure I will manage better. I mean, to be some two minutes ago, I was speaking to Osra about her English and uh, my Lithuanian, and uh, for sure the comparison was in her favor. Um, I will try now to pronounce the only two words I think I know in Lithuanian. Ausra kauzilinaite. I think I... Actually, quite good, because, you know, as you know, I'm traveling quite a lot around the world and, you know, participating in poetry festivals and events. And actually, the most interesting pronunciation of my uh, name was in Bucharest. You know, my, my name is Oshraka Zilunete, but I was invited to read as uh, Ashihura Kazili. <laughs> and I really enjoyed the sound of it. <laughs> so, no worries. <laughs> and that, so, if my pronunciation guide works, Kazalunitra. Kazalunite. Okay, <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, today's episode of Poets of the East started under the spirit of learning Lithuanian, or at least learning Lithuanian pronunciation. Well, and when I heard in which way Osher's name was pronounced in Bucharest, uh, I'm not so ashamed anymore of my Lithuanian, because at least I managed to pronounce the last Slavic. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, happy and uh, and honored to welcome you uh, to a new episode uh, of uh, Poets of the East. Uh, our first uh, guest is uh, a very distinguished uh, poetess from Lithuania. I have already pronounced her name. I won't risk to do it once again because I'm not sure I will manage at least at the level I managed five minutes ago. I can only say she got she got she got a lot of awards. She's very appreciated on all the meridians and parallels of the uh, of the globe. She participates at a lot of, in a lot of festivals, and we have we had also the honor to have invited her in Romania to an international festival when she was very when her poetry was very welcome and very acclaimed. Ladies and gentlemen, very happy to welcome here Osra Kauzilinaite. Well, hope I managed at least at the same Hello, level. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, and, uh, I, and I kindly uh, ask her to uh, fulfill her presentation with, with uh, what she considers to be important and what I did not manage in, uh, to mention in a couple of minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time at Poets of the East, we welcome great Lithuanian contemporary poetry and a great Lithuanian contemporary poetess. Osra, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Osra, could you tell us a little bit about when you began? 
actually I started to write at the early, very early age. Uh, even before I learned how to write, I already was telling, uh, you know, some kind of poetry, and my parents was writing it. But uh, after, you know, when I started uh, to write, uh, like you know, not quite serious poet because I I, I don't like, you know. Uh, this kind of labels like serious poet and uh, all this kind of stuff but uh, my first publications in uh, national uh, lithuanian culture press appeared when i was around 15 years old and my first book uh, uh, first lithuanian book the title was actually it, it's quite pretentious but, <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, was published when uh, I was uh, 19 years old. So actually I started very early and I became the uh, uh, youngest member of Lithuanian Writers' Union. Uh, and uh, uh, from time on now I published uh, uh, five poetry books in Lithuanian and also 2018 my uh, book one of the books was translated to English and, pub and published uh, uh, by Parthian books and this year also my book is going to be published uh, in Russian and also in Polish languages yeah let me ask you this a lot of poets also have other art forms that they enjoy whether it be sculpture or painting or sketching. Do you have some other arts that you're also personally interested in? Um, I, I think, you know, uh, for me personally, very influential art is music. Um, I, I had a piano teacher from very early age, and I was uh, um, training to be professional a piano player and also I was uh, learning how to play flute and uh, yeah so nowadays uh, I, I'm not doing anything related with it but I guess somehow it's related with my writings and uh, also you know I from the very early age uh, I really enjoyed uh, pa painting and uh, I even was dreaming to become painter but uh, I, I didn't have uh, patience I, I wasn't uh, enough uh, <laughs> patience for it and uh, you know yeah but I still you know um, love uh, painting and actually uh, two years ago when I was participating in international writing program in Iowa, I also started to write my first uh, novel and the main character is painter from uh, 19th century Lithuania. So uh, for me, you know, uh, other art forms is uh, very important in my writing. Actually, this determines me to raise two questions. I was, I have always admired 
the very rich imagery and uh, original unexpected imagery of your poetry and also the musical dimension, the musicality of it. Sometimes alliteration, sometimes games of words. Of course, I don't understand them because I don't understand Lithuanian. But is this a kind of influence of your love to music, of your early love to music and painting? I think yes, but also, you know, uh, past seven years, I was uh, um, writing my philosophy PhD thesis, and my main field was uh, film philosophy. So I guess, you know, my New Year's poetry um, very, uh, very much influenced, influenced by film and uh, and uh, you know sometimes even some literature critics in Lithuania saying that uh, uh, my text sometimes looks like uh, a short scenarios so uh, I, I guess you know what it's related not with music and uh, uh, paintings and visuality and photography but also with uh, film and also you know this dynamic when everything is changing and uh, the things and lines uh, uh, always in some kind of movement and uh, um, especially in my last book uh, there is no sea uh, this book was published uh, uh, this, in, in the beginning of this year. Uh, in this book, uh, I guess uh, it's uh, quite easy to find a lot of, uh, you know, montage and a lot of some kind of visuality, moving, changing, um, uh, some different, uh, you know, topics. Uh, interrupting and uh, yeah so I guess this uh, uh, visuality and also this kind of movement uh, uh, are related with my passion for cinema <laughs> and for Michel Foucault philosophy as well well actually because um, I, I could not I couldn't spare you this question as a film scientist myself um, please tell me which directors or which kind of cinema do you feel is influencing your uh, the, your writing, uh, your poetry? Because this is a very original PhD thematic, film philosophy applied to applied to literature. Um, the director, which work uh, actually is very important for me. Uh, I think is. Piero Paolo Pasolini, but not just his movies in general, but also his uh, text, his poetry, and his uh, uh, relationship to uh, world, and in general, you know, the philosophy of uh, uh, text and of language. And also, I uh, adore a lot uh, uh, movie directors like uh, uh, Lars von Trier, 
quite a con controversial figure <laughs> and uh, also I like a lot, a lot uh, Alejandro Khodorovsky if you know this uh, director with El Topo and Holy Mountain so I guess uh, and also Peter Grinaway and I guess all of these uh, directors uh, have very specific, unique and interesting uh, relationship with visuality in general, with colors and uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I think it's uh, very inspiring, inspiring when you uh, using uh, uh, colors, movements, text, and you creating uh, different universes. And uh, for example, for me, I never thought about myself like uh, about uh, philologists. Uh, you know, in Lithuania, we have many writers and poets uh, uh, who graduated philology studies and all this kind, you know, of uh, um, different programs. But for example, I never uh, studied philology. Uh, I have degree in history, religious uh, studies, and also uh, philosophy. Uh, but I, I never, uh, for me, uh, language never was the main task. Uh, for me, uh, language always was like tool or some kind, uh, you know, uh, system of science and the way how to manage uh, some kind of, uh, you know, different situations and how to navigate uh, in different situations and how to show to my audience uh, different ways how to reach some different uh, um, uh, how to say in English like uh, different busanos uh, uh, like moods or some kind of thing yeah because you know then uh, uh, you using language like main task, uh, I guess you always missing something who is uh, under language, something that is not easy uh, to find in language or even impossible to find in language. So I, I think about myself uh, more like artist uh, or sculpture uh, who using, you know, language like tool to create uh, uh, the ways and roads to different situations, uh, art situations, and it's very important for me as a poet. Well, actually, I think these are magical words because there is here, which is uh, worldwide known as a poet and information sculptor, and I think he's going to understand you very well, because besides of being an excellent poet, he's also a plastic artist uh, in the very proper meaning of the word, a sculptor, and uh, uh, and also an improvisator and uh, uh, and a performer. Um, well, I don't, I'm not going to pronounce his name, but uh, Rick knows it, and uh, 
if uh, if uh, necessary he will tell us about who is all this about and because you mentioned such an inter interesting uh, connection between uh, the thematic the uh, if you want the um, cybernetic of poetry and uh, without or, or with a with a lower role of uh, the language as a task of the word as a task if you manage so many interesting directors which besides of the very original imagery have also in common a certain political orientation and because so and so rick was going to ask you this because he's always asking all our guests i will directly ask you whether you do you think the poet besides of being a poet besides of being an information or a word or a sculptor of words of expressions of images has also a kind of uh, let's say social political duty some responsibility towards society i'm asking this once i repeat because so and so rick was going to ask you and second because all the directors you mentioned had this uh, dream had this uh, this kind of uh, mythological dimension the artist the film director the poet the writer as uh, a person which is uh, somehow in debt towards the society and which uh, has to uh, express a certain message and take a certain attitude uh, towards social and political events and developments what about you what about Ausrakausilinaite, sculptor of poetry and uh, universal artist, by the way, also excellent poet. Thank you for these beautiful words. Um, actually, uh, my very first book uh, called The First Lithuanian Book. Well, there you have it. That's part one of our interview with Osra. Uh, any reactions at this point? I know it's uh, it's early in the uh, in the chat, but um, any thoughts on that first segment, uh, Marissa? So I definitely love hearing from poets from all over the world, especially places that I've never been. I, you know, I think sometimes in the states we uh, we're a little bit sheltered and perhaps an experience to a lot of the things that are happening in other places of the world and that education and therefore the empathy and the action that can be called to um, really begins with communication and I think poets see that incredibly well. Lithuania is the country I've never been to, but I'm very curious to hear more about it, even like the dark parts of, of different countries' histories. Um, sure. Absolutely. It's, it's just so important to do that. And just keep speaking your truth, and we'll champion you guys. And yeah, thank you so much. Okay. Uh, before we start back part two, I want to share a little something with you, just a little taste this is some incredible dulcimer playing by Rebecca Lowe. Listen to this. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and here we go for Asra part two. And the story behind it is like, you know, the thing that uh, Lithuanian, Lithuanian literature history is quite uh, young because our first book, uh, first uh, uh, printed book in Lithuanian language appeared just a few centuries ago and uh, it, it was uh, um, like you know religious book, uh, cate catechism and uh, it was written by a pastor and, and the thing is that all Lithuanians when you saying first Lithuanian book they think about uh, uh, this uh, book and uh, about uh, you know the very beginning of Lithuanian literature and uh, at that time when I was uh, uh, creating uh, this book my first book uh, I, I was teenager and I was uh, very uh, influenced uh, by uh, Luis Jorge Borges uh, and uh, um, Fictions was my favorite book at that time and uh, also uh, you know I really love uh, uh, this uh, writer uh, maybe you know him uh, Milorad Pavic yeah and so all these guys, they were trying to somehow create uh, different ways how to um, dig our reality and our history and uh, to create alternative uh, dimensions in our history and uh, our world. So at that time, I had a very ambitious plan to uh, invent alternative uh, uh, history and alternative reality um, and imagine Lithuanian culture if uh, our literature would start from uh, avant-garde poetry book. So, because you know, <laughs> Because our society, you know, is quite conservative. It's very interesting thing about Lithuania. Uh, you know, we are one of uh, Baltic countries like Estonia and Latvia. But uh, Lithuanians have this, you know, like uh, um, thinking that uh, at once, you know, at very, uh, you know, like past, it's very long time ago, we were like empire. Because, you know, uh, Grand Duke of Lithuania from 14th century till 16th century was the biggest, you know, um, you know, how to say, like... Central European power, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and that thing... your alliance with Poland also became... Yeah, was a little bit later, yes. Mm -hmm. yes. the and, and the thing thing. is uh, that uh, many Lithuanians, you know, still have sentiments for that time. And um, a few years ago, I also had very interesting discussion with my friend and great poet from Mongolia, uh, Bayaz Galan Batsuri. 
and uh, you know and for me it was very interesting that mongolians uh, have very similar you know like this nationalist romantic stuff to think that you know we uh, was so great you know country and all this kind of stuff uh, okay and uh, the thing about lithuanians is that uh, we were the last baptized nation in europe as well <laughs> it, it happened it happened you know at 14th century actually and and the thing is that uh, uh, after uh, we you know had uh, this experience with Soviet Union and during Soviet Union time it was very hard to practice you know all uh, uh, beliefs and religion systems and everything in Lithuania so many Lithuanians were like you know worshipping uh, Catholic God uh, secretly and you know celebrating Christmas Eve and all this kind of stuff but the thing is we became uh, the uh, last uh, we were last baptized in Europe but in Lithuania you know Christianity is very influential power till nowadays and uh, for me it was very important and interesting you know to imagine uh, my country uh, you know in this alternative light when the first opinion book is not written by pastor but uh, by you know avant-garde poet uh, so yes um, and uh, you asked me about you know how it's related with my political views and uh, uh, I, I guess it's related and you know and thing one thing about uh, um, political stuff and poetry in Lithuanian it's it's very hard to discuss you know relationships between this and uh, many poets especially from older generation in Lithuania they still think that you know if a poet trying to dig social or political issues it means that it's some kind of propaganda or some kind of you know like uh, uh, how to say very limited poetry without many levels and all this kind of stuff and uh, I, I guess it's somehow related with uh, our experience with censorship during uh, Soviet Union time because at that time uh, in Lithuania if, if you was writing uh, uh, some political uh, stuff usually it was like stuff related with propaganda uh, and uh, if you was trying just to be you know some kind like great poet you was uh, writing just you know very beautiful allegorical uh, poems about uh, moon sun flowers feelings and trying to escape these hard topics and also it was you know uh, another group of poets uh, they were trying to be like very rebellious and to write uh, and to dig these forbidden topics and it was a very risky thing to do because uh, you know censorship was quite hard and uh, 
you could be in danger by doing all this stuff. So I, I think till nowadays we have some kind of inertia. Uh, but many people thinking if you writing something related with political uh, topics, uh, uh, it means that uh, it's some kind of propaganda, some kind of uh, conformism, or some kind of you know you are not artist at all. And uh, but you know I really like. Uh, uh, great thinkers like uh, Walter Benjamin and Walter Benjamin once uh, wrote about uh, this thing that you know when you writing about everything uh, except something uh, it, it and and if this except something is related with political or social stuff and topics related with your reality it means that you are some kind of fascist and uh, I really like this idea, yeah. Very interesting statements and in the same time a very, com a very complex connection between all those thematics and, uh, and, um, and domains and fields you, uh, you mentioned about. Unfortunately we have at disposition only 30 minutes, uh, so, but because there are a lot of other questions I would have liked to to ask you, for instance, but there is no time for it. I'm only going to mention this question because, uh, as, uh, among the Baltic uh, Baltic nations, you are the most Christian, I would say, because the other ones are more like animistic. That means they came back to some pre-Christian, very old animistic uh, religions, and this was also a kind of uh, social or political or historical reaction to being uh, banned as uh, in their religious beliefs during communism and this reflected very interesting in a very interesting way in their art and uh, and literature but i repeat we have unfortunately unfortunately there is so there is a, such a passionate thing to to talk to you about to talk with you about it and to to listen to you but you know this is a poetry serial we would like very much to listen also to your poetry so Please, if you uh, if you are so kind to uh, to uh, to show us to present us something in uh, uh, from what you uh, from what you uh, prepared today, uh, we would be uh, we would be, would be very happy to uh, to hear this and uh, uh, and to comment it uh, together uh, with you, ladies and gentlemen. Ausrakausidunite, which proved being an excellent. Uh, erudite, a very uh, educated person in all the possible fields, philosophy, film, music, painting, plastic arts, history, <laughs> and mainly uh, history of Baltic nations. Believe us, is also a great poetess. And now please allow us to introduce you, Aushra, the poetess. Welcome, Aushra, with your poetry. Mm. Would you like me to read in English and Lithuanian or just English? Both of them says here someone which is uh, well, you know, it's interesting because he's here mentioned as neznami človek, which in Czech means non unknown person. But actually, he's the most famous here. But nevertheless, he never writes his name because he knows everybody knows his name. So, unknown person that means Rick Spisak says both of them. So, 
English and Lithuanian or Lithuanian and English. Looking forward to it. Omelette. I was planning to cook an omelette. I broke one egg, then another, and in the third I found a grimy boy sitting here, parentless, alone, in a shopping mall with a small box at his side. I looked around to see if anyone saw, then continued to prepare breakfast. And in Lithuanian, omletas. Prašiau sikėpti omletą. Praskėliau vieną kiaušinį, tada antrą. Trečiame radau murzina berniuką. Sėdėjo be tėvų. Vienas prekybos centre. Šalia savęs turėjo dėžutę. Apsidairiau ar niekas nemato ir toliau gaminau pusryčius. You know, now I'm reading from my fifth book. It came just this year and it's very interesting, you know, design book with a lot of, you know, like you, you can see yourself in this book. <laughs> And yeah, and this poem, what I'm going to read now, it's also very short. Also your plastic artist dimension here. <laughs> Actually, I'm very happy because the designer of this book is one of the best book designers in Europe. Last year, he, she won Red Dot Award. It's the best designer award in Europe. So I am very happy that she also loves my poetry and created this beautiful, very minimalistic book. Uh, yes. So, and also I didn't mention that I would like to thank for this uh, genius translations to my great uh, translator and friend Rimas Ushgiris. He also translated my book, The Moon is a Till, in English translation. Yeah, so. Holly. Pedestrian smiles, a cold spring, books, films, shoes in the wrong spot, sex, Monday sirens, a pigeon flies into church. None of it appears to mean anything. And that's the only reason it appears. Šventa. Raizis Čipseno, šaltas pavasaris, paskaitos filmai, nevietoje palikti batai, seksas, sirenos, pirmadienys, įbažnyčiais, kaidas balandis. Visą tai nieko nereiškia. Ir tai vienintelė priežastis. Kodėl reiškia? Thank you. Thank you. It is, if I may say, I don't know whether the information sculptor will, will agree or not, but I feel here a very concentrated expression of the primordial Bible. I don't know whether I'm right or not, but that's what I feel. Thank you. <clears throat> My dear, I am inspired to offer you one of my short little pieces because I, I like that minimalist spirit. I like that uh, boiling down, that concentration of poetic images. This is a little poem I wrote. I imagined the problem of measuring the temperature 
out in space. When you're an astronaut just outside your, your spaceship, you've gone out there, you're doing a extravehicular activity, and, and the question arises, what is the temperature of space? So here's my little poem about it. The temperature of space. Hold a thermometer, hold it out in space, how cool and smooth the knot in place. Hold a thermometer, hold it out in space, how cool and smooth the knot in place. How dark, how clear, not out into place, that's no space, go place for heat or cold, or am I too bold? Am I, damn I, the fool's gold in the Fort Knox of your dreams? Hold a thermometer, hold it out in space, how cool and smooth the knot in place. Oh my God. Oshara, believe me, you are privileged. Because this is one of the best poems I have ever heard by by Rick. It was amazing. Which is why it was amazing, yeah, right. really. I mean, everything he writes is amazing, but this was really exceptional. So believe me, not anyone, not everyone is able to inspire him in such a manner in order to betray some so those great texts he always have, he always has up in his sleeve without mentioning them. So that that's where, that's where they are. Yes, that's where they are. So really, a very special edition, a very special episode of uh, Poets of the East, ladies and gentlemen. One of the most Eastern poets of the poet of the East, Neznami Chlobiek, unknown person. Uh, I hope Rick is going to name him sometimes. Ooh, really great. Ooh, I feel. Enough of my nonsense. How about another one from you, my dear? Oh, I wasn't prepared because I thought, you know, that many people going to be in this episode, but I can read something. Just yes. one more. We won't, we won't burden you too much. Um, unmute yourself, Rick, please. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't want to burden you too much. If you can have one, even in Lithuanian, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will read one in English. I don't have this one in Lithuanian now, but it's also from my English book, The Moon is a Pill, uh, Plants. I arranged myself on the shelves of grocery stores poured myself into the gas tanks of buses. Where it's dark and tight, but at least there's a direction, maybe a meaning. I wrote my name at bus stops, but nobody gets on there. I checked myself out of all the municipal libraries and forgot to return myself. I feel the weather changing, I feel the depth growing, and that spring is coming, spring is coming, spring is coming, spring is coming, spring is coming with me. Audra, may I ask you one other question? I, okay. I like the title of your book. I, I think long and hard about my titles and revise them many times. But I am curious, the moon is a pill. What, were, what was the metaphor you hoped to conjure in our minds? 
Um, actually, it was more expression of my inner feeling at that time. It's also name of the, you know, like uh, main poem of this book. And uh, this poem is very long and very rhythmical. And uh, the main thing of this poem is uh, that um, everything has groove in the middle. Groove in the ah. middle. Ah. Yeah. And, and the thing is that uh, at the end of the day, uh, metaphorically and literally as well, you should somehow just to broke it. I don't know how to say it now yeah, in English. Yeah, but, uh, yeah and, and to swallow it. And uh, the thing is that at that time I was thinking about perception in general and about the things that happening outside and inside you and how they are related and how actually this perception process uh, coming because you can see uh, and enjoy beautiful moon but at the same time somehow this moon appears uh, uh, inside you and uh, it was the main uh, you know theme I, I know what you know um, some literature critics also tried to find uh, another meaning like about you know um, literature and art, how to uh, think uh, who you can find like medicine and also something that is poison uh, and all this kind of stuff and also even one critic I guess wrote about uh, oh maybe somehow it's related with uh, drug thing because you know this imaginary it's so dynamic and you know so many colors so maybe this still <laughs> means this but you know I always think that it's very good when people find different ways how to uh, interpret uh, one uh, thing and I heard many many interpretations of the title and also the poem in general and I'm very happy that you know people um, somehow created and recreated uh, this title and poem by themselves because you know um, I think in general that not just writing, but reading in general is also the act of creation. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, actually, this inspires me uh, to a parallel, unexpected maybe parallel, with uh, Beatles, uh, one of the Beatles' uh, most famous uh, pieces, which was also allegedly uh, um, propaganda to drugs, Lucy in a Sky of Diamonds because actually this uh, moon is a par is may may be understood as a parallel with uh, this uh, lucy in a sky of diamonds and in the same time with that very rich imagery inspired by cinema uh, you were uh, you were talking about because everything is connecting here in an almost perfect um, uh, gnosological uh, circle and uh, in spite of all 
dreaming about drugs or actually uh, having this uh, having this illusion having this uh, uh, fantasy uh, fantasy about it uh, could also inspire very good poetry it's not our case of course but uh, well when talking about uh, socializing or taking social attitudes uh, we haven't we haven't thought something so radical as in uh, as in this uh, is in this spirit and i want to thank very much rick for this uh, very uh, from this key question concerning the thematic and uh, the symbolistic of uh, uh, of uh, your poetry what do you think could we find uh, one final poem in english of yours eventually in lithuanian if you don't have it in english Yes, I will find something. You're a generous woman. You're a generous woman. Thank you very much. You're a generous poetess. You're a generous Osra. This is Okay, I will try to read actually English translation of the poem The Moon is a Till. <laughs> yeah. The Moon is a Till. The Moon is a Till. The Fagrug down a middle. Anger is a pill, with a groove down the middle. Mindoga's bridge is a pill, with a groove down the middle. Summer is a pill, with a groove down the middle. Throat in Africa, what wipes away the lives of 500,000 children, is a pill, with a groove down the middle. A beloved woman is a pill, with a groove down the middle. A cop striking the protester's dog is a pill with a groove down the middle. To give up one seat on the bus is a pill with a groove down the middle. To sing from joy having buried oneself is a pill with a groove down the middle. Silence is a pill with a groove down the middle. Drunken time lies in the groove and babbles never ask who cut this groove, who dug this day for us, who nailed a twitching bird to its teeth. Break it, swallow the one half and the other, opening the bird's lid with both hands, insert the pill and close. Then you will finally see drops of blood striking over the day's teeth. Thank you. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well worthy of the title poem. Well worth. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you very you. much. And of course, I don't speak Lithuanian, I repeat. Uh, this alliteration, this play with sounds, this game with sounds, I guess, just as you mentioned, the translation should be really great. And uh, I'm sure that the lecture in Lithuanian of the ones speaking that language could offer really very great impressions and uh, and uh, sensations. A really wonderful poem. And as Rick was saying, I understand what you. Why did you choose this uh, title also for uh, for your collection? Thank you. It was a pleasure to be invited in this uh, beautiful and cozy show. Thank, thank you very much for accepting this invitation. Uh, it was quite uh, improvised, but uh, charming. Really great. 
and uh, I'm sure we are going to make some more episodes with uh, guests in their cars because it seems a very inspiring, uh, a very inspiring environment. Um, and if everybody could make such great, such great episodes, such great uh, uh, interviews in their car, then we are going to ask at least one of our guests each episode to make this in his or her car. Ladies and gentlemen, a great poetess and wonderful intellectual and erudite, uh, an erudite author, Osra Kauzilinaite. Thank you very much for being with us today, Osra. Osra, you've driven us crazy. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you, too, so. Well, there we go. That was Osra. Uh, your thoughts on uh, her wonderful poetry with a groove down the middle? <laughs> she's lovely and I just I love her voice and the way she delivers poetry it was it was yep yep check all the boxes I loved it it was so interesting um, of all the places that we've interviewed poets uh, we were talking to her in her car so <laughs> I thought here we go this young lady's telling us about her poem about the moon being a pill and then here at, with her explanation that uh, all of life has a groove down the middle. I thought, how, how wonderful, you know, she's in her car, and that metaphor, a groove down the middle, is, is the highway ahead and, and so much more. Um, of course, a groove down the middle has so many interpretations, and we'll have to explore that more. Uh, next up, we've got Iva. Iva is a tremendous poet from Macedonia. So let's give Iva a listen, and I'll get your thoughts afterwards, okay? Here we go. Iva, part 1A. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now moving to, towards another kind of spirituality, another kind of sensitivity and the intellectual tradition from Northern Europe, from the Baltic uh, spiritual tradition. We are moving now uh, to the Balkans one of the most interesting and uh, dynamic culture and literature uh, today, the North Macedonian one, uh, really a very dynamic and very interesting literature, completely changing, completely developing and giving each year, I can say, another generation of young, excellent uh, and very original poets. One of them is today with us, it is Iva Damianowski, to whom we are saying hello, we are welcoming her. Thank you very much for being today with us. It is really an honor to have you here and to listen to your listening to your poetry. Eva is one of the most uh, titred uh, um, North Macedonian poets. She participates to a lot of festivals. She got she got a lot of awards, and she is also uh, one of the most appreciated poets. Poets not only in her country but all in all in Europe and her uh, and. Uh, her literature has been translated, if I'm not wrong, please correct me, Eva, in at least 10 languages. If I'm wrong, please correct me and fulfill your presentation with elements you consider as being important and I did not mention. Thank you and welcome once again. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation and I'm humbled by your words. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So please tell us um, something uh, more about you. What do you think it is important? And I did not mention how many volumes, how many collections did you uh, did you uh, publish? 
uh, in which languages have you been uh, translated and so on? Well, uh, actually, I have only two books published at the moment. Uh, one of them has been published in two separate publications. And um, it was it was an, an enlarged, the second publication of the first book was an enlarged one, so it included other poems as well. And uh, currently I'm working on something that is actually more towards the prose genre. It's an experimental genre, but I'm, I'm working on it, so we'll see. And, and on an, a third book, I'm working on that as well. And um, about the translations, yes, I believe, I believe they are almost 10 languages or so. I've uh, been translated in, um, of course, these Balkan languages as Serbian, Croatian, um, English, um, Spanish, um, even Bengali, which was very interesting, and um, well, I can't really uh, Italian as well. Um, okay, so I can't really remember all of them, but but they for are sure, very Czech and Romanian follow for sure. Czech and really? Romanian uh, will Romanian can't wait. will follow. Beautiful news. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Eva, would you talk a little bit about when you began to write? Oh, uh, well, actually, when I was very little, I, when I was basically a child, you know, those are infantile beginnings. But uh, but to be perfectly honest, I was interested in poetry ever since I was, I don't know, six or seven years old. So I started doing those, you know, little poems, little children, you know, compose. Uh, at school or inspired by, you know, when you admire animals or some adventures, childlike stuff. But but I was interested even back then. So But, but I, I started writing more seriously when I was about 15, you know. That's when, when my more serious poems that have actually gotten published, that were a part of the first book. That's when that began, I guess. And uh, did you feel inspired by some uh, special Macedonian poets or just by things around yourself, uh, just uh, uh, elements or notions or already existing great uh, North Macedonian poetry? I guess both. It's always both, I guess. When, when, you're, when you're a writer, I guess it's always both. It's life, but it's also other literature. But uh, I don't know, I guess, I guess I was inspired much more uh, by by what was going on and still am. You know, I I have said already, I think my biggest inspiration have been the news. They're very inspiring. <laughs> Reading the news is the best for writing poetry. But, um, but I guess some other North Macedonian poets as well, especially Slavko Janevski, is one of our notable poets and writers prose and poetry as well. He's been awarded and and such. And he's also from Skopje, where I'm from. So that has been a very big influence on me, to be perfectly honest. I have even one, one poem that is an homage to him. I have dedicated it to him, so it's in the first book. Well, actually, it is... Actually, now, it is the place for that very specific uh, question, usually 
uh, raised by uh, raised by Rick because you are mentioned the news, you are mentioned the political, social, and historical development. So I will let to Rick the pleasure to raise this question to you. Rick, please. Thank you, my friend. Uh, you know, one of the things that I find so powerful about poetry, uh, despite the fact that, shall we say, commercial culture tends to dismiss it, um, I look at history and say the oldest tales told in all societies were told by the poets. When, when they want to build up energy, whether it's a political event or a sport event, they chant. They use poetry. When they want to sell us something, they use poetry. So I argue that since the oldest tales ever told about any culture were poets' tales, what responsibility do you feel poets have today to tell the stories that we understand today? Well, that's a beautiful argument, first of all, and I believe it's a very true one, Mr. Rick, but um, I, I do believe, yes, poetry has, I, um, I sort of believe that it has this, uh, it gives us this liberty where, you know, the, the standard, um, there are two aspects of this, I guess. The one is the one where we have the semantic liberty. We can say anything. We have uh, paradoxes that we can use, and they make sense in poetry when they are used in poetry. Um, and also, on the other hand, the linguistic one. The, what I would say the acoustic one is. That is why poetry is so influential, I guess, because of the acoustic uh, property it has. And that is, I guess, how it is used, even from pop culture to, to as you said, ancient um, scriptures and, and chants. And uh, yes, this makes poetry a very, a very important part of our lives. And when being involved in writing, yes, it is a huge responsibility, I guess. But at the same time, it has to be liberating. You, ha you, can't, uh, you can't be a slave to, 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 you know, to feel the responsibility of being an erudite. I believe this, is, this might be even wrong for an artist today. You, know, you can't have all the knowledge. You, in order to be original, I guess, you have to also feel free, I guess. <laughs> well, actually, oh, sorry, sorry, please. Okay, I, w I was just going to say, I, I think that we have important social criticism responsibilities. Because, as you say, we can articulate a problem because we're not beholden to a faction or to the dollar. We're free of both those things. So we can articulate issues and, as you say, use paradox, use irony, use even the musicality of language to try to plant seeds. Yes, that is what what, it, what makes it to be. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to, to interrupt. Uh, that is what makes it, I guess, uh, so influential. And yes, uh, to be perfectly honest, my poetry has often been said that it is uh, very socially and politically engaged. I have never felt this to be specifically so. I never wrote with the with the notion to write about something that is socially or to, to in, but to inspire change through something that is beautiful. 
to, uh, to something that is artistic. I believe this is the, the duty of the artist today. In order to inspire change, it needs to use aesthetics. Aesthetics, I believe, is what we have and we hold as the most powerful weapon in response to what is happening, which is usually very ugly. You make a good point. When I first started writing in public, in, in poetry sessions, in poetry reading groups, I found that most of my colleagues were treating on the personal, were treating on the, uh, the specific, and weren't treating to politics or global situations or war and peace. And uh, since my work goes that way so much, <laughs> people would say to me, oh, you know, leave all that political stuff away. And I said, you know what? I follow my muse wherever she goes. I don't care. Yeah, Gilbert didn't, so I don't know why. Why, why should we? <laughs> Well, actually, it is not at all aleatory that Eva belongs to a very interesting project by the uh, Perion poet uh, Emilio Paspanana um, and me, uh, a project uh, which was called The Reaction of the Very Young Poets to the Challenges of uh, Today's World. It was a very successful project, and their verses, the poems they write, they wrote with this uh, opportunity where until now um, they were published in Peru, I guess, and if I'm not wrong, also in Argentina. And her poems, I remember, were among the most uh, influential and the most uh, interesting uh, at all, combining this social dimension with this uh, artistical, with this aesthetical uh, necessity, with this uh, a very important aesthetical dimension of the uh, of the literature, and I think one couldn't image, imagine a, a better introduction to the very poetry, to the very poems of Eva Damianowska. Eva, please read us what you prepared for today in English, but also at least some of them in Macedonian, in order to to hear how your beautiful language, your beautiful mother tongue, uh, sounds also in original. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, well, um, I just wanted to ask, would you like me to read the poems both in Macedonian, the ones I read in Macedonian, should I then read in English or maybe, okay, great. Great. <laughs> just a second. Um, well, I guess first in Macedonian, because... By all means, my dear, your choice. So if I understand well, there are poems you write directly in English. Um, actually, uh, this is, I write mainly in Macedonian. But uh, to be perfectly honest, I have some poems that I have I have um, written in English directly, but they're sort of experimental. I'm trying writing in different languages now as I'm as I'm going along the way, but it's different, you know, because when my poetry is very linked to what the language holds in itself, and this is why it's a bit difficult to know. Um, different languages, they have also different uh, 
they hold different uh, ideas in them, sort of to say. And it's different, you know, it's a bit tricky. <laughs> so I, I do have, but I don't think I will read what I have written directly in English, in English right now, unless you want me to, I, I guess, but I don't have it prepared. It's entirely up to you. Okay. Okay, so I'll, I'll read one of my poems written in English directly, but in the end, if, if that's okay. <laughs> okay, great. Um, I'll start with the Macedonian ones now. Um, this one is called Otros, or Poison in English, but I'll start with the Macedonian ones. Pozduh soboja na majčino mleko in miris na nanade na smrt. Sezonski neprijatelji brojene, metomil, cijanit, kolimi odzit na kapitalizmot, koliko romantično. Genocid, homicid, kanicid, suicid, pesticid, besmislena hierarhija i demokratska civilizirana anarhija. Najnovita naučni istraživanja pokaža što je zdravo da se jada ova nedala. Idnata nedala naučnite istraživanja ga pokaža teka istota je glavnata pričina za to zašto bolje dvada od rak. Mrak i strap. I ciklon B, i Saigon, i telefon, i električna struja, materialistički idealizam na paradoksalnoto vobičajno, senzacionalniot mediokritet, sa ležarna mrzeljivost i absurden prioritet, ko vi imate televizor, ne postoji glad ili žet, i ovaj sovršen svet. Site vidovi so zagrozeni, samo homo sapiens je grozen, šarmanten i leprozen, pasiven aktivizam, ugostiteljstvo, turizam i terorizam. Čita vojni od sega, ki bedat građanski, bedeti nikoj povejka ne živeje v selo in sveto če bedat postmodernističko remek delo. Grevot je vroden, gen, sveken roden den, tijem deset čestički. To ste vije, vojntemna vrska so vašjot ličen masoven medium in vašjot radioaktiven um. Uranium, polonium, radon in svetjot grav, ketonal, diazepam, strav, sram, znam. Okay, there we go. That was part one of uh, Eva's work. And now, uh, uh, any thoughts on that? Doesn't she have a delightful voice, Marissa? Oh, my gosh. Yes. And then my daughter's name is, uh, is Eva, E-V-A. So I'm like, ooh, anyone who's named Eva or Eva, I love you. <laughs> but as far as the work goes, it's lovely. I, I could sit here all day and just work listening to an audio tape of your book. <laughs> so, yes, that was great. Absolutely. Okay, now here we go for part two of Eva um, Demyaruski. Here we go. Really very beautiful. And if Rick agrees, I would like to kind of ask Eva to read this in Macedonian, if it, she has it. Or yes. it was... It was it was written only in English. No, no, I I uh, wrote I read the Macedonian one already before uh, before Rick read his poem. Oh, I understand. Oh, sorry, I understand. Yes, yes. Okay, okay. So let's continue, please. Let's have some other pieces of your wonderful poems. Thank you. Um, just a second. I'm Take sorry. your time, my dear. This can all be edited out. 
<laughs> okay, great. <laughs> well, this one is called Zosto Mirame, or Why We Die. Zosto Mirame, but I listen. Nam kraftani je napravena od železa, a železata rgelsova s kislorodo. Zato umirame. Tako je pat, ko ga vdišuvame, kraftani se pretvara v rgel. And in English, it's called why we die. Why do we die? Well, that's easy. Our blood is made of iron, and the oxygen rusts the iron. So we die. With each new breath, our blood turns to rust. Well, actually, this was really great. Um, on one hand, uh, very well, I mean, I don't speak very well Macedonian, but I speak Bulgarian. Oh, so, okay. So I understand a little bit. There is possible to understand some things. There are different different words, yes. different expressions, but uh, the spirit of the language is possible to understand. And I really appreciate those games of words in Macedonian and uh, this, uh, in spite of all, humor, even black humor of yours which uh, actually uh, which actually is one of the main uh, elements of uh, uh, of your uh, of your of your poetical style uh, so much implicated in uh, in uh, society so thank you. Uh, thank you if Rick allows me and if everybody while here allows me I would like to reply myself with uh, uh, something I wrote long time ago as a kind of hold to the idea of uh, aesthetics of ugliness uh, and uh, well whether there is or there isn't black humor there please appreciate it yourself some say it is some say it isn't so i won't i'm not going to pronounce uh, myself uh, myself uh, about it I, of course i will read the english translation uh, not the czech original because there is no time for uh, no time for this Eclipse. Eclipse, translated into English by Tomasz Mika. They bought us an yearly ticket for metro, even before we were born. We took the metro to the maternity hospital, to nursery school, to kindergarten, to elementary school, to secondary school to the university, to work, and to our retirement. We are not passengers. They just transfer in our country from one surface to another. We are not afraid like them of what can be below or inside, since we know very well that below us there has been nothing for a long time, and not even above us, let alone above them. We are only afraid of the Midnight Express. It does not stop anywhere. It even does not have a driver, and so it cannot break at all. And we are also afraid that one day all the trains will become Midnight Expresses, and we will never hear again. Final stop. Please leave the train. Thank you. So, Beautiful, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and uh, please 
offer us at least one of your beautiful poems. I'm so sorry, my, my files are here now on my computer. I don't have my hard copy files because right now I'm actually not in my hometown. So. No, same <laughs> here, my dear, same here. I have to search through the whole computer in order to find not only a poetry, but even an email. <laughs> mm, great, I know which one. I know how to find it, I mean, click here. <laughs> okay. Septembre. Беше тоа убав ден, ден тако га се удави. Беше сончев август и се раѓаа многу новороденчиња. Се раѓаа со рацете високо подадени кон волничките тавани, исплашано врацкајки, дајаме во мир, како предупредувани. Тоа беше убав ден, ден тако га се удави. Беше сончев август и беше многу топло. Никогаш не можев да поднасам жештина. Древав во водата, а ги заборавив камењата што ми ги ставаа во джебовите за да не одлетам. Велат дека некои камења ставаат поети во джебовите, кога сакаат да се удават. Okay, uh, so English translation, please. Yes, is September. That is the name of the of the poem. It was a fine day, the day when I drowned. It was a sunny August and many babies were born. Their arms stretched out to the ceilings, crying with fear, we come in peace, as a warning. It was a nice day, the day when I drowned. It was a sunny August and was too hot. I could never bear heat. I entered the water but forgot about the stones they put in my pockets to prevent me fl from flying away. They say some stones put poets in their pockets when they wish to drown. Well, I have to admit, the English translation does not respect so much the, um, uh, the philological, the words uh, capacity of Macedonian language, but from thematic point of view and from uh, uh, from the from the point of view of the meaning, it's just perfect, really wonderful, and it caught very well the spirit and uh, uh, and uh, the how should I put it the um, of the idea uh, you uh, you were inspired you were inspired by really great. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was. Thank really you. particularly amazing and uh, as a as a uh, aficionado of black humor myself i have <laughs> to say that, that was awesome <laughs> thank you so much i'm so glad you like it <laughs> one of my poems and i won't recite it now but uh, sometime i'd be happy to share with you uh, treats on the fact that in america uh, for some reason uh, Medicine, access to medicine is only available if you're rich. And if you're not rich, then you're just going to die. So I wrote a poem about it. I, I called it, uh, <laughs> uh, Please Don't Change Our Darwinian Healthcare System. But <laughs> if, if Misha will share your email, I will send it to you. And I, yeah, I would love that. I, I, I think that. you will really enjoy it. It's, uh, it's about as dark as they get. <laughs> Ah. Well, I guess we're left with not much than laugh in the face of what is happening because 
<laughs> well, you know, I think that that is so much of Eastern European uh, humor because too often these great powers, you know, kind of come by and crush us and all we can do is go, yeah, really? Okay, thank you. And, yes, and I, yes, it is sort of uh, um, also here in the Balkans, it's very widespread because, yes, <laughs> our history is... Um, yes, fraught. Yes, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a massacre to just humor. go into it, so let's not. And, uh, I mean, without our humor, and we, especially without our black humor, we couldn't eventually resist during history. Yes, it is because... a form of resistance, yes. I agree completely, Mr. And, and now that we've cluttered up our time with a little of our nonsense, how about one more, okay? Okay. <laughs> Again, in Macedonian and in English? Yes, or... please, please, by all means. Okay. Um, this one is called A Poem of Peace in at least three languages. In Macedonian, it's called so this is a play on words, uh, um, which I, I thought I might um, clarify a bit. Because mir, um, the word mir, in Macedonian means peace. In Russian, it means the world. And, and in, in Albanian, it means good. So, in at least three languages, I'm trying to encompass something linguistically. So that was the, the experiment there. So here's it. Here it is in Macedonian and then in English. Pesma za mirot na barem tri jazika. Ne vetujete im Armagedon. Ne podarujete im pištol. Ne dozvolujem da ju vedite deka za nič nema dostane ništo. Не дозволувам димателни атентатори да раѓаат деца на стравот, којот прават што го фролате додека бесрамно под фролате не можат да видат киднина. Како се осмелувате да им ветувате небиднина? Ки ги бркам во ова поле рашто гори, додека се уште имам кожа, додека можам, детето во мене ке се бори за детето во мене што се уште не постои. Ке им ветам дека за нив не е предотна. Ке им ветам дека и тие ке имаат цвет. Ке се колнам дека од ова гјубре ке никне цвет. Ке им ветам коали, ке им ветам дека не се безначени и мали. Ке им ветам дека за ниф не е предотна, дека оваа безмислена сепак е сизифова. Ке им ветам дека ке имаат дом, дека овде не се само напоменување, дека ке има Феодорово помилување. Ке им ги ветам сите стихови и веди, ке ги надвикам вашите лаги, ке ги угадам дека вреди. И дека иако стар, овој свет е добар. So here it is in English. A poem of peace in at least three languages. Don't promise them Armageddon. Don't buy them guns. I won't let you persuade them that nothing will be left to them. I don't allow attentive attentators to give birth to children of fear who can't see any future from the dust you cast when you disgracefully fail at last. How dare you promise them nothingness? I'll chase them in this field of rye that burns as long as I still have my skin, as long as I can. The child in me will fight for the child in me that isn't there yet. I'll promise them a world of their own, that in this dirt a seed of flower will be sown, that there will be koalas, 
that they also matter. I'll make them aware, I'll promise them that it's not too late, that this nonsense is still that of Sisyphus. I'll promise them a home, that they are not here in transit, that the fielder's pardon will be granted. I'll promise them all verses and Vedas, I'll outshout your lies, I'll make them believe in their ado, and that although old, this world is good. I promise them peace. Bravo. Thank you. Bravo. Thank you very much. Um, actually, I don't know how, uh, how, how much time do we still have, Rick? Not a lot. <laughs> Sorry. Would there be time for a very short poem dedicated to the ugliness of language? Thank you. So please take it as an answer to your own ideas about uh, ugliness of, of aesthetics of ugliness. Uh, it is from a cycle called From Great Mimsy's Recollections. Till the earth went smolly-bolly. Dude, so um, once I went skydiving with my cousin, the American, you know, and we told them in the plane we wanted to jump from a big eight, huge eight, you know. We were in the business, you know. We were good professionals. So we told the folks to take the plane higher and higher and higher till the earth went smally, 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 bolly, 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 bolly. And then we told them that was the spot, all right. And the folks went, awesome, my dude, great Mimsy, awesome. And all of us took the sheet jump, you know, my cousin and me, my cousin and I made it on that pebbly earth, man. But the folks fell beside. Tough luck, my dude. Tough luck. <laughs> well, Great. thank you so much for joining us. Your work is just, it's beautiful. Uh, the humor in it is exquisite. Thank you so much for thank joining you so much. us. Thank you so much for the thank invitation. Thank you for being with us. Thank, Thank you, you for, so much for being with us today, Eva. Mnogo blagodaria to vabeshe mnogo mnogo udovolstvia na nas. It was really a pleasure to have you here, and it was a privilege. Good luck in everything you're doing, and all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Hoping to to keep in touch with you guys. And I will send you a brief I'm, little poem that I'm sure will make you smile. Thank you so much. I would also like love to, if I could send you my poem that I didn't read that I wrote directly in English. So, I would be honored in, to read it, my dear. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Please do so, and don't re and don't forget about those poems to be translated into Czech and Romanian. Looking forward to it. All Thank the best, so Eva. All the best, Rick. As well. Bye bye. Bye bye. Goodbye. So that was Eva from Macedonia. Earlier, we heard Asra from Lithuania. And now I have the great pleasure and honor to bring to you a delightful poet, a poet who is remarkable in so many ways. Ladies and gentlemen, Marissa Prat. Marissa, welcome. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. What did I do to deserve an introduction <laughs> like that? Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Thank you well, so much. Well, you're delightful. For... You're talented. 
You're warm and loving. Uh, and, and besides that, you have sparkly ears. And what, what else can I say? I do have sparkly ears. I have 20, like 20 different colors of sparkly ears. I will let you decide what color I'm wearing today. I, I think so it's a voluptuous usually... violet. It's the violet. Yes, I'm wearing the violet ears today. Uh, you can usually spot me in an open mic because I'll have some sort of ears on. <laughs> well, so yeah, let's it's just a lot let's of fun. talk for a minute. And I know this will hopefully embarrass the heck out of you because I'm going to praise you up and down. Totally fine. This <laughs> this delightful poet has been writing for years since she was a little one. She has chronicled her adventures, her tragedies, her victories, uh, the love that she shares with the world, the, the sadnesses that have touched her heart, and continually writes just beautifully, eloquently, and above that, and above and beyond that. You know, it, there's a special quality of some poets who, who aren't happy just sharing their work. They want to build bridges for other poets and Marissa, you're one of those. You have recently done some publishing, too. Is that not correct? Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, to to really understand my story, I guess the, the best way to sum me up is that I really do not do anything normal. Uh, you're a good company, <laughs> those my who dear. Know, <laughs> Those who know me know... I don't do anything normal, and I don't do anything half-assed. If I decide to do something, it has got to be uh, 100% the best that I can do, whatever it is that I do, and um, really has to be good quality, no matter if it's, you know, whatever I'm learning to do in my life. And so, you know, when I came to to writing, um, like, you know, like you said, I, I did a lot of writing in high school. I had a really hard time in school. I was bullied relentlessly in elementary and middle school. Um, I was kind of an outcast, not, not like an outlier, but I didn't really fit in in a lot of places in high school. I was kind of awkward. I, I grew up training horses, and horses was my life. That was what I did. I wanted to become a veterinarian. Um, I went to college to become a veterinarian. That was my, my vision, my goal, my dream for life. Um, so many things, you know, happened along the way to, to alter my course. Uh, but I always went back to writing, um, whether it was poetry, whether it was novels, whether it was short stories, children's books, uh, even wrote a couple screenplays. <laughs> so, like, I dabbled in all these different genres and um, – I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm, you know, I'm here from the Southwest United States. And I went to uh, a Meet the Publisher workshop. And I was looking for someone who might be interested in publishing my poetry. Um, and I didn't really find that there was a lot of um, accessibility to publishing in New Mexico. Uh, there's a, a lot of people trying to get published, there's a lot of competition, but there was not accessibility or availability to get work out there. So when, uh, so I, I went back to spoken word, uh, started performing my poetry again, trying to get my work out there, 
and I met a bunch of poets through um, Zoom when COVID hit because everything in person stopped, right? The whole world stopped. So we had to adapt and we had to change. And I always had the concept that I should just start my own publishing house because I didn't want to pay a lot of publishers to publish my work. I didn't want to lose the money. I didn't want to lose the power of the vision of my work. And I didn't want to have to go to five different presses and five different publishers for all the different genres of literature that I had. And so um, just spending time on Zoom, I got to know poets. <laughs> and myself, Majuks, and Sarah Bellamental, there are two poets here in the U.S., we were just talking one day and we're like, well, what if we co-op the expenses and we publish ourselves? And that conversation began spawning into what, you know, has now become my life. And I'm overjoyed because I get to experience so many poets getting to the front line uh, to get their work published, to um, tell their stories, you know. Um, oftentimes, I've equated what we do to, <laughs> if you've ever heard me talk about this for, for any length of time, I'll, I'll tell you the railroad story, you know, and the concept of that is when the railroads were first built, you know, that allowed the Western United States to expand and, and explore and you have mass transit, um, uh, boom towns, the whole nine yards. Well, when, when trains turned into cars and cars turned into buses and buses turned into airplanes, right, the train industry, the railroad industry said, well, we're in the railroad industry. We're not in the aviation industry. And they didn't buy planes. They didn't invest in planes. They didn't change their technology. They didn't move at the time. And what happened eventually to a lot of the railroad system is the railroad system died. And mm, our mass transit now around the world is, uh, is airplanes. So the kind of the, the, moral, the moral, the concept for that is, is the railroad industry didn't realize that they were not in the railroad industry. They were in the transportation industry. So for us as poets, right, um, Sometimes we think we're in the literature industry or we're in the spoken word industry or we're in the performing arts industry. You can even stretch that and say, well, I'm in the education industry. But we're not even in that. We're in the revolution industry. We're in the industry of changing hearts and minds and bringing about real-world change, real-world peace, educating people, enlightening them, creating empathy, and, and calling to action change. So, you know, when you think about what you do as a poet, whether you're a page poet or a performance poet or a publisher or a spectator or a fan or a family member of a poet, right, every one of those people has a role to play in the revolution. And I say the revolution as far as change, changing the, the world, changing the system, changing the way we look at things. So poetry has become that. 
And, and <laughs> so that is my railroad kind of analogy with, with what the heck are we doing writing poetry. Melissa May Dunn told me a couple weeks ago, poetry without distribution is bullshit. The graveyards are full of good ideas and great books that were never written. Is your book going to ever be written? <clears throat> because we're not about necessarily publishing a book or even having your story written down on paper. This is legacy work. This is having your story told by you that someone is going to be able to access and read for, for generations to come. So that's why what we do as poets is so damn important. It's going to change the face of what we do. So for me, coming into publishing and doing poetry, that's my mindset. And, and teaching these poets who are coming with me <laughs> how to think about that <laughs> is a lot of fun. Could you see the change in people? Um, and I hope as you're listening to this, you're thinking back to yourself like, wow, what, what industry am I in? What are my goals? Um, what have I been doing? And what can I do moving forward, you know, to affect that change? So, well, bravo, yeah, so that's dear. a little bit about my, my story coming up. <laughs> and, and you've just announced a publication, haven't you? Yes. So uh, what we did was I, I created the press Red or Green Books. Red is R-E-A-D, redorgreenbooks.com. And I don't believe there is another word, at least not one that I've found, that is pronounced the same as, as something. So like red, R-E-D is the color. Red, R-E-A-D is the past tense of the verb to read. So I have not found another case of that in the English language. So it's a very, I think it's a very unique use of words, but it's a play on words because I live in New Mexico. And in New Mexico, chili is life here. Red chili, green chili, it is, it is a conversation uh, that everyone has. What do they prefer, red or green? And so red or green books was the press. And we're female forward, so we, we like to focus on serving women as a priority in the industry, getting their publications out. You know, it's not a sexist thing, okay, but it is our emphasis. It is what we are focusing on in this press, especially people of color. So um, what we did was we have the original 10, which are 10 poets who we have uh, selected and invited to come and launch with us. The 10 poets are Elemental, the poet, he's in California. Um, Matthew Matakin is in Iowa. He's a first-generation Salvadorian-American poet. We have Sarah Bella Mental. She's in Texas. Elaine Hill is in South, uh, North Carolina. We have, of course, myself. I'm in New Mexico. Ma Duke, she's in Pennsylvania. Fresh Linen is active duty service member in the U.S. Uh, military. He's in Germany right now. Uh, we have Poet Khan Rasfaya. She's in um, El Paso with Denise Khan. And then also we have um, Kimberly Shaw in South Carolina. So those 10 poets we published as the original 10 launch. And we have 10 more poets that we are going to be publishing in the winter release 
again, you know, most of these, seven out of ten, I'm very proud in both the summer and winter launches this year are women. It's an incredibly exciting time. More than half the people in the, in the original ten are people of color. It is just, it's so exciting for me. They're all debut collections. They've never published a book before. This is like me, nothing we've ever seen. Let hmm. me ask Sorry. you a favor. Is there a chance mm-hmm. you have one of those books handy that you might crack one open and at random? Because I wouldn't ask you to pick from among them. But I will like sure. trust random chance for you to open up one of these delightful books, plunk <laughs> your finger down, and read us one of those wonderful poems. Okay. Let's see. All right. So the first book I have... On on the top of my stack is Fresh Linen's book. And <clears throat> let's see. Let pure chance be your guide. Okay. So... Kind of a rough one, but if you want, um, use your good judgment. <laughs> I trust it implicitly. Okay, I'll read this one because he he does write a lot of um, very personal things in this book, and so I, I don't. I'll read a different a different piece. It's not that I don't think it's valid or important, but. Um, you know, I, okay. I would rather pick okay. something that's you. less vulnerable. Okay, so this poem uh, is called Second Nightstand, and it's written by Fresh Linen, and this is in his book, Before the Streetlights Come On. I never knew I needed you until I rolled over to find you missing. After a series of half-asleep panic attacks, the sound of the toilet flushing took my tough guy act down with it. You're still here. You got me. Falling in love, little by little, laugh by laugh. You let me know you used the towel, and I hope I didn't mind, and hoped I didn't mind. My eyes locked on the idea of your jewelry and phone and the other nightstand opposite of mine. Dazed smirk looks like something I I could get used to seeing every morning. Gaze broken by your voice asking if I had the number to a taxi. The sunlight always finds the right way to hit your smile, doesn't it? Frank Ocean plays on a Sunday as the car starts. My hand lies on your thigh, unaware of your finger's plan to invade the the gaps between mine as we drive further away from being strangers every day. So that is... I mean, he... He is he's, he's amazing. He gets in he gets into some pretty dark stuff in his book, but they're very important to talk about, especially for men. I mean, I would absolutely encourage um every single one of these these poets. Like, oh it's hard for me you to want convey to pick one more? how incredible they are. You wanna pick a one different more? a different yeah, I'll pick a here, let me pick a different book, a different poet. Here's Cerebellum Mentals. Let me open it to something. 
<sighs> All right, so this is a, a piece she wrote. Um, I will give you a trigger warning for her work because she does write a lot about um, sexual abuse and um, Yeah, sexual abuse, trauma, a lot of child abuse, um, all that stuff. So this, okay. it, I just happened to turn to this poem, Infer Infertile Desert of Longing. Infertility needs to be a discussion, not posted later, not a post-it note of passive aggression, saying women are made to procreate and all we can create is how many instances we haven't been a child. We haven't had a child. Not predisposed circumstances that are too taboo for us to mention. I want to talk about how you feel like the only thing you can carry is despair in your belly. That your mate created before so you know it's not on his side. That your ability to cause a creation in your womb is but a desert but needed monsoon but inopportune times that keep accumulating like dirty books under your mother's bed. You think of how your mother said how easy it was to have you to give birth to a child only wanting, only wanted by her father and given by your mother as one of those claw-found prizes where you keep looking to get a bigger stuffed animal and instead... I'm just a keychain. I was told that imagining me as a mother was funny, and we weren't talking about that, about mothers looking at non-mothers and saying how it's a good thing you didn't propagate a child because it would become a weed with your measure of to feed its roots. I love every child in my adopted family, my friend, mother of three, bountiful beauty, she is everyday uncompromising motherhood, shining like a beacon, and her child stays stuck in my ventricles, in my aorta, her baby, the first I ever cradled, and that head. A baby's head smells like the freshest talcum powder, sandalwood, jasmine, and somehow a touch of sage, because smelling a baby's head takes away your trauma for an instant, and you are that child. Frost-bearing eyes, brilliance embodied in Starship's demise. And so don't say, I can't be a mother because I am infertile. I'm loving children that aren't my own and showing them the cycle of abuse is a wheel, but just because it works doesn't mean it continues. End poem. Wow. She's incredible. I mean, I can't even tell you. These poets are just so amazing. Well, Maria, <sighs> let me interrupt you to say, how about some of yours? <laughs> yeah, I, I could definitely read you some of my poetry. Um, well, I think I you will, should. I will let you know. <laughs> you what? I said, I think you should. 
Okay, I will definitely redo some of my poetry. I'll let everyone know who's listening that all 10 of the books are available to purchase in the collection. If you're looking to buy poets who you've never purchased the books from, yes, the website, redergreenbooks.com, you can purchase the entire web, the entire collection, all 10 books. If you do that, I will definitely sign my copy. My book is uh, Conversations with Grief. It is the one year I wrote poetry after my friend chose to end her life and then poems that I've written through motherhood um, while grieving. So it's a very interesting book, uh, something we should talk more about for sure. But yes, I think if you're unfamiliar with any of the poets, you could read their bios, the reviews on their books on the website, uh, pick up their books and read them. Every single one of them is different. What's the website again? Yes. <clears throat> Red or greenbooks.com. Red is R-E-A-D. Red, R-E-A-D, or greenbooks.com. Okay. And yes, you. you can check everybody out there. Thank you so much. All right. So two poems for you. I will do um, one heavy poem and one more romantic poem. <laughs> I don't want to leave you on the floor today. <laughs> Wonderful. So, um, Wonderful. <laughs> the first poem um, is titled Past Lives. I love this poem. It's, it's a little bit dark. It's about being bullied in um, school and growing up and having um, the angst uh, of that. I wrote this in a guerrilla poets workshop with Shane Maynard, and Shane Maynard did all of the cover art for our books at Red or Green Books. So uh, here we go. It's titled Past Lives. Pulling out my inner child is like removing a hot dish from the oven without pot holders for protection. It's going to leave a mark. The mountains of my home always smelled of wildflowers and dust. Cool winds carried sparrows that built mud nests under the sheltered parts of our porch. Their babies would fall out and I would pick up their naked corpses, dark eyes bulging big, beak, wings, feet, could see it would have been a bird. Summer camp, they threw me in the swimming pool, even though I could not swim. We had an orange-striped cat named Tigger who lived in the barn beside our house. I once watched that cat carefully dismantle a mouse, eating all fur and skin first, then inhale the carcass head first, entrails popping out leaving a minimum amount of blood on the ground. I used to get shoved down on the playground until my mouth was full of dirt. I spent most of my before I could remember time in that barn. Even after the laughter of horses had vacated and weeds had overgrown stalls, when shit had turned back to earth and all had fallen quiet, I'd still run around that corral as if I belonged there. Belonged more there than in the house. The bigger I grew, the smaller my mother made me feel on husband number three. 
I ran away four times that I can remember growing up. I wished I could have grabbed the mane and swung up on the back of that black Frisian stallion, ran down the road to the highway and into the unknown. It was much better than the known, for I was the mouse and the house was consuming my skin, feasting on my insides while slowly devouring the last drops of girl that I contained. I was the baby bird, dried and stuck to the concrete, the forgotten future of humanity by a school that only held bullies and detention after fist fights explains why I so easily accept disappearance as an adult, as a woman, as a mother. Thank you. Wow. That was exquisite. It really was. Thank you for sharing such a powerful personal piece. Um, Beautiful, just beautiful. Now, if I recall recall correctly, you were planning on offering us at least one more. Yes, I will do another one for you. (laughs) I can't leave you on the floor. I got to pick you back up. (laughs) 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 Um, Yes, and maybe what we could do is do one of these podcasts of just reading funny poetry. <laughs> oh, that sounds like because a great like idea. Right? Uh, just like all dark poets, um, uh, or just like all comedians, I actually have a very dark uh, darkness, right? Of course. <laughs> so I do have course. a lot of funny stuff. But, of um, course. <clears throat> yes. I used to write poetry sitting in the closet with just enough light to write by. I know exactly what you mean. Sure. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's so much fun. I, I just love dabbling in in parody poetry and, and comedic poetry. <laughs> but okay, so I will definitely finish you all up with this lovely poem. Um, I'm kind of in the lovey space right now, so I have a lot of these lovey poems kind of going on too. Oh, wonderful. Here we go. It is titled Ishmael. Write me across your page, then crumple me up in a ball. Put me in your mouth, chew me around, and swallow me down into the sole of your pen. I want to swim in your stomach like Geppetto, with monsters and men who capture and kill never to be killed as I course through your blood. Your body knows what to do, how to absorb me into itself, move me into your cells and breasts, utilize me for energy and rest. I want to kiss your eyes clear of every nightmare so that your waiting dreams may finally find your mind. From the child to the man, 
fill your life with long-awaited love hand-carved by these hands that have been waiting to hold you for generations. I feel you move through me, warm, hot tea with simple syrup and mint from my garden, the taste of desert sun still captured in its leaves. Swallow your words to give birth to nightlight butterflies in armor that battle monsters in their sleep to carve the dream of, your, of our love. You are my Professor E to XC. I have this craving to course the mogul molehills in your magical, poetic mind. For I swallow you down into the soul of my pen. So you swim inside me too. We feed each other's need to become the beast, to shred the past at last. For we have found our place in the belly of a great monster because you are what you eat. Thank you. <laughs> Lovely, my dear. <laughs> Lovely. You I left us on a you luscious would like note. <laughs> a luscious note. And, and since we are what we eat, we are each other. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it has been a pleasure. Uh, and listeners who who have enjoyed Poets of the East for for some time now, uh, I hope you can uh, reach out to me. Let me know if you want to support the show. Uh, we're right now in a little mini crisis, uh, and. Uh, I hope if you think like I do that the show must go on, we continue to talk to marvelous poets like Marissa and so many others. On behalf of myself and my brother, Mercia Danduta, I hope we can continue this. It is a service to the poets and to the listeners and lovers of poetry. Marissa, thank you again so much for your generosity. Have a wonderful day, a wonderful evening, and I, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much, Rick. Yes, if you all want to support the show, we will come back and do a funny comedy episode and and read some funny poetry because that is part of, of what we do. Uh, absolutely, I will come back. Okay, well, that's a deal, my dear. That's a deal. Have a wonderful <laughs> day. We're going to go out with some of the music of Rebecca Lowe.
Marissa, thank you so much. What a lovely note to end Poets of the East. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.